0: I invite you to take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, to the 19th uh, chapter this morning, Matthew chapter 19. If you're in the Blue Pew Bible, you'll find that on page uh, 824, 824, You know, there's something that I'd like for all of us to, to notice and at least to some extent uh, appreciate, think through. Uh, it was interesting, I was planning on talking about this, but Will brought this up at the end of our, um, our gathering for Sunday school this morning. Uh, that what we do here typically, I think everyone knows this, we, we, we take God's Word and we take a book of the Bible generally. Uh, not always, but generally this is what we do. We take a book of the Bible and then we work through that book, kind of verse by verse, all the way through that book. And one thing to appreciate about that when we do that is that it keeps us from skipping over passages. Um, And if you know yourself and your own heart, as I know myself and my own heart, and I'm the one standing up here, and so I would, I, I know I would likely do this. I know I would. Uh, that I would choose. There are certain things that maybe I want to hear and I want people to hear. There are other things that I might shy away from. They may make me feel uncomfortable or others feel uncomfortable. They might look at difficult matters uh, that we'd rather not deal with. Passages, for instance, that talk about divorce, uh, which happens to be what we're talking about this morning. Uh, but it is true that we, as we work through, and this is, this is God's provision for us, that what we, we go through some challenging things and things that otherwise we might not choose. And yet, if you think about it, some of those are the exact passages and the, the exact matters and truths and doctrines that we probably really need to hear because they deal with our hearts. <laughs> They deal with the things that are going on inside and, and they deal with us in our lives that we live every day and some of the struggles that we might have on a regular basis. Now, the, the world around us happily feeds us with information, often with wrong thinking, wrong instruction, particularly on this matter that we're talking about this morning. And, and it's even true within the church. Uh, And sometimes unintended, other times uh, not. But divorce is a common theme uh, within our culture today. Uh, Everybody knows about marriage. Everybody knows about divorce. And there are particular uh, ideas and worldviews that are pushed forward. And yet much of it, as we turn to God's Word, is completely misconceived, misconstrued. uh, And this this is needed, especially within the church to open up and to see and to understand, to have a right understanding. So I'm, I'm just saying we should want this. Uh, we should want to go through things in this way and to see things from the Lord's perspective so that we can live our lives, as Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, as children of God, even in the midst of a crooked and perverse or crooked or twisted generation, which is true. And so we need this. So, we're opening up uh, this morning to this passage in in Matthew chapter 19, and as we do, uh, we're coming to a transition point. The point at which Jesus has has finished, well, completely finished His Galilean ministry, which has been going on for some time. Now, He has traveled back and forth, but you you may recall the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Galilean ministry, so Jesus has been ministering in Galilee for a long time, uh, and now he and his disciples start on his final journey down toward Jerusalem, and, and so in this, the first couple of verses here, you'll see that they make it to a place that's east of the Jordan River, but, but down closer to Jerusalem, Jericho, down close to that uh, area. And so here they're going to experience crowds and different people than he has been ministering to, uh, we would presume. Uh, Now, last week in uh, looking at this passage, we just took a, a small narrow slice of it and we focused upon marriage. And if you were here, you may recall I said, this passage is really about divorce but we're going to look at marriage because we need to and because he speaks about it. Well, now we're, we're taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture. Uh, as Jesus teaches about, not just here, uh, but uh, for the next uh, chapter at least, he's teaching about living within and valuing the kingdom community. And think about that for a moment. Living within, valuing the kingdom community. Community As those who, who know the Lord submitted to the King, to Christ, here is how we need to live our lives. This is valuable. Uh, now, all of this is going to be kicked off by this question that we heard last week, and we're going to hear again this morning, this question by the Pharisees. And uh, Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach about uh, divorce, to give God's view on So again, chapter 19, the first 12 verses. This is God's Word. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, uh, the, the teaching up to this point, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given." For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have, been, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Please join me as we look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we we thank you that we can have confidence as we approach this word, that this is the word of of God, that this is given uh, to us for our benefit, for our eyes to be open, for our lives, that we might live them in a right way in this world, that your work might be done and on and on. And so we thank you for that. Therefore, Lord, we pray that you will help us uh, with an understanding of this word, a right understanding, uh, and help us to take this word, to to submit our hearts to it, and therefore, to have it change our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the past uh, couple of months, maybe a few months, our our family has has embarked on two trips that have involved a decent amount of driving. One of those trips was to go... West, and we went through Chattanooga, we went to Huntsville, Alabama, uh, that far. The other trip was to go the other direction, uh, directly east down I 40, about six hours to uh, Durham uh, area, Raleigh. And on both trips, I remember seeing as we went along these large billboards uh, that usually would have a, a lawyer's face on it or maybe a lawyer's name. Uh, and they, they addressed a couple of different topics, but one of those topics that I remember distinctly were they were divorce lawyers. Uh, and some of the, the messages on these billboards were pretty pretty direct. I can't remember them exactly, but they were meant to grab your attention. You know, things like uh, mistakes happen or something along those lines. And, and then you think about you see divorce there. Uh, and And others were more empathetic in their message about the problems that are involved with divorce. But they were all basically carrying the same message. And that is that marriages come and go. Uh, It's a fact of life. And yet there's a simple and easy, effective solution as long as you talk to the right lawyer. Uh, And you think about it, and the culture in which we live today, there is some truth to that. Uh, we're in a culture in which there there is more marriage and divorce than just about any other culture in the past. And one of the things that's led to that—you uh, you have heard of this, no doubt—no uh, fault divorce. And it was—I did the research here. It was back in 1970. It was the first time in our country. It was back in California. California starts things under a man a governor by the name of Ronald Reagan. Uh, and that was the first time this was signed into law. No, no uh, fault divorce. And, and now every state, I believe, uh, throughout the country has some form of this. Now before that, there was a reason that was needed for filing divorce, that that in some way one spouse or the other had broken the marriage contract. Uh, but with a no-fault divorce, generally that requirement for a justification has gone away, and even some states will not allow uh, there to be any justification, Uh, and so therefore a person can file a divorce for just about any reason. Uh, So this has led, among other reasons, to uh, what we have today. Almost 50% of marriages, if you look at the statistics, uh, end in divorce. Now you might think, Uh, that this is truly unique to our day, that has just increased. But evidently, the culture of first century Israel was not all that different uh, from this. Now, that might be a little hard to imagine. You may think of Israel as being conservative, especially back in in this time. Yet by Jesus' day, there had come to be two different schools uh, that that had different views on divorce. Each were led by a different rabbi, one rabbi by the name of Hillel, which had great support amongst the people, including amongst the ruling uh, elite, that taught that God has provided the ability to divorce for almost any reason. Uh, If a man found a woman whom he liked visually, Better than the woman that he was married to, he'd have a divorce. He didn't like the way that dinner was cooked or something like that. He could could have a divorce. It was very straightforward. Now, the other schools, led by a man by the name of Shimei, a, a rabbi, divorce was only permissible in the case of sexual infidelity. Now, which one throughout the land do you think was more popular? Uh, Now, why? We might ask why these two different teachings when this is in Israel. They had God's Word, the Old Testament, which should have authoritatively solved the dispute. Well, at issue was Deuteronomy 24 that we just looked at uh, a a little while ago. Uh, And if, as a people, you are looking for a a way out of marriage, an easy way out of marriage, to be honest, Deuteronomy 24 turned out to be a pretty good place to look, because in that passage, Moses doesn't speak in specific terms, because Moses in that passage is not it's not his intent to define marriage. It's not his intent to say, well, these are the reasons for which one... It or, or, or was not to define divorce, I'm sorry. And it was not to, to say, these are the reasons for which one can become divorced. He, he had a different purpose in mind. Uh, and therefore, he doesn't speak in real exact terms. And he basically says, if a man has found, remember those words, some indecency in his wife he can divorce. Moses didn't define indecency. Some versions translate it something shameful. But it appears, and it's within the realm that he was talking about, something shameful. He was talking about sexual infidelity, uh, unfaithfulness. And it's this phrase, this passage in, uh, in Deuteronomy 24 that this rabbi, uh, Hillel, jumped upon and his school jumped upon uh, and followed and said, well, Moses allows divorce for any reason. And that's where this question that's made to Jesus comes from. Uh, we're back in chapter 19 and the Pharisees say, you know, Rabbi, teacher, Jesus... Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, as we saw last week in asking this question, they weren't submitting Jesus to a theological exam. Uh, they had a different purpose in mind. They were, their intent was to, to, to tear him down, to, to get him aligned with, a, with a, the wrong party, uh, to make it political. But instead, what happens is that Jesus is going to expose what they're really doing. Now, there are different ways to approach the question of divorce. And what the Pharisees are doing here is to model a wrong approach to divorce. They're actually doing exactly what we so often are prone to do, even within the church, when it comes to divorce. We. We are tempted to think about divorce and to talk about divorce as a completely standalone issue, which it's not at all. But that's what, when we were on these drives, that's what these billboards were treating it, uh, that if it's a divorce that you want, no worries. We can take care of that. There is a way out. We can do the same thing in our thinking as we talk about divorce. We can make it a standalone issue. Now that's where Jesus in this passage He he takes this question of divorce and he turns it completely upside down. He exposes the sinful and wrong thinking that so often accompanies it and that did with the Pharisees, that does in our own discussions, our own hearts sometimes. And he speaks about divorce. By only speaking about what marriage really is, by going back. And so, what he ends up saying is that the marriage covenant from creation is permanent in this world. Yet, because of sin, the Lord says, divorce will be appropriate, it will be right. For some. And that's important. But where does Jesus begin? He begins by emphasizing that marriage is important. And emphasizing that the meaning of marriage, the value of marriage, and what it accomplishes, and the goodness of marriage, and the permanence of marriage. Yet at the same time, He doesn't ignore the reality of of sin and its consequences. And therefore, the need for the accommodation of divorce. Once everything has been laid out and seen and understood, the accommodation of divorce. And so how is it that we are to hold these two things together? Uh, Marriage covenant, it's permanent. Yet at the same time, in this world, there's a need to accommodate divorce. Well, Two things that that Jesus does here. First of all, he gives kind of a a general treatise on divorce and what it is. And then, after giving that general treatise and, and helping us to understand this is what divorce is, then he gives some of the specifics on divorce in this world. So he goes from the general to the specific. And we have to take it in that way. So let's see first this general treatise on what divorce is. He, he's starting off with a big picture. He's putting divorce into the right perspective. And so in order to describe what divorce is, as we saw last week, Jesus goes back. He goes back. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2. And He says, first of all, critically, that man is made for woman. And woman is made for... For man, God made them for the the, the definite purpose of joining them together. One man, one woman. As we talked about last week, God has made provision for singleness too. And that's actually what the last part of this chapter 19 deals with where it talks about eunuchs. He's talking about that provision of God. But the way that God has made man and woman is this, that there is a need and a need and He has made them to join together one with the other. He's, he's created man and woman, both, with this need for companionship to leave the temporary relationship of father and mother and to join together in this permanent union in this life with one another, in this far more intimate relationship. And that's what marriage is. And anyone thinking about divorce, anyone eager for divorce, needs to must consider this. This is critical to think about what Marriage really is before coming to divorce. But additionally, here's the key as far as divorce is concerned. Let's look at what makes this a marriage. What makes a marriage a marriage? In verse 6, back in our chapter, Jesus says, "...so they are no longer two, but one flesh. They've been joined together. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate." Marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. And what that means is that the promises and the obligations, think marriage vows, are not just sort of set down and written out on a sheet of paper with two lines at the bottom. So one of us, me, signs one line. Amy signs the other. There's a marriage. That's the basis for our marriage. We've got a contract. That's not the basis for marriage. But God has created marriage. As he said, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. It's God who created marriage. It's God who has joined these two together so that they are united as one. It's God who makes them one. It's God's doing, and therefore, this is a holy union. Now, do you start to see how, if you go back to that question that the Pharisees had asked, you start to see how that was in complete error, just out of the blue, asking this question, without at all talking about this, without basing it upon what marriage truly is. And you see at the same time how wrong we can be when we think about marriage, when we talk about marriage, when we consider it apart from this. That... That it's not only before the Lord, but it is the Lord's. That it is His doing. So it's wrong when we think about. Well, this is how we might enact it. This is how we might justify it. You know, in our vows, uh, we typically say words like these: "From this day forward, for better or for worse, for sicker or for richer, for poorer, in sickness." and in health to love and to cherish till death do us part. Now, that's not just a, a promise and obligations that are this way. It's also a promise that's this way before the Lord. It is a covenant uh, and therefore it's a holy union. God is the one who makes us one uh, and He is the one and, and if we are in Christ then this is what we 're going to want isn 't it? Uh, no matter what we face through all the troubles that we face, if we are in Christ, then this has meaning to us we 're going to say, Lord, you are the one who has provided this. I want to o- obey, and then we 'll live our lives out in covenant faithfulness it 's kind of like that um, that bondo stuff that you get at uh, at lowe 's or at Home Depot. Uh, where you, it usually comes in two tubes and you squirt it out between the two ma- materials you 're going to hook together, and you put them together, and then when it dries they, they say at least that it 's stronger typically than the materials themselves that you're you 're putting together that 's what marriage is that puts a whole new perspective on divorce doesn 't it and we need to know this because. This covenant union that Jesus is pointing to is not just about two people that are joined together, but it's also there to help us to see the spiritual reality, the theological reality of something far greater, far beyond this. This is to be a picture of Christ and His church. Think about a man and a woman who leave their families. And they come and join together as one flesh. They they, they cleave together as bride and bridegroom. And they live their lives out in covenant faithfulness. That's a picture of Christ leaving the side of His Father and coming and cleaving to His church and then continuing on in covenant faithfulness. That's what we are to see and understand. And the picture for each of us is that Christ's covenant faithfulness is such that divorce, departure, has no part in that. He is ever faithful to those who are betrothed to Him. Listen to this out of Hosea chapter 2. And I will betroth you to Me forever. I will betroth you to Me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love, And in mercy I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. For one who is bound to Christ, divorce doesn't have a part in the picture. What God has joined together, let not man separate. So we've got this big picture of marriage and divorce. Divorce, These are the truths that God wants us to see when it comes to marriage and when it comes to divorce. And maybe you've viewed divorce differently in the past. Maybe you've been divorced in the past. Notice, though, the changes that occur when you become a believer. Now, this is speaking in a sense to all people. It's always sin. Sin is sin. But it's different when you become a believer. You, you come to have a heart to... Obey. Uh, we we would expect that for an unbeliever, there is going to be a, a completely different view on this. There is not a heart to hear this, to take it in, to obey it. It's completely different. But for a believer, it's a whole different situation. Jesus says in in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. That's a a description of those who have come to know the Lord Jesus for themselves and therefore take His his Word as instruction to them, as truly the Word of God. And they know that He has loved me with an everlasting love. They know that He has bound Himself to me, that He has forgiven my sins, that he He has brought me into this relationship. And so for a believer, it's completely different. And so I just say, if you became divorced, perhaps, before you became a believer, and maybe, maybe you, you, you saw divorce in that way, or maybe you never became divorced, but you used to see divorce in a different way, don't beat yourself up over it. It's a sin. Like others sin, but it's been atoned for by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so if you stand forgiven of sin, then you stand forgiven of all And I make that point because there are some churches and there are those who who teach when it comes to divorce that it's kind of like the, the, the unforgivable sin. That's not scriptural. There is an unforgivable sin, and this is not it. So, first, Jesus gives a right understanding of divorce, but he doesn't leave us there. Also, he gives us specifics on divorce in this world. God recognizes that you and I, we live in a fallen world. And the believers are going to be in marriage situations in which brokenness abounds. In which that that bond of, of covenant marriage is not there at all. It can't be there in a sense. It's an impossibility. And so He's provided for that. Uh, and other things. And the first thing, though, is what we've already covered. The first thing that we need to know is God's design for marriage. But then we need some more specifics on His provisions. And so having made clear what marriage really is, then He graciously gives to us these provisions on how to view divorce. So in, back in our passage, Jesus is going to deal with two objections. The first one is from the Pharisees and the second one comes at a later time from his disciples. You'll see that beginning in verse 10. Uh, this is where they make the, the, the objection, that if such is the case with, uh, of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. And then he, he, he says not everyone can receive this saying, that it's better not to marry. And then he goes into talking to them and providing them with what we talked about last week, about remaining single that, no, it's true, marriage is not for everyone. He, he gives the example of a eunuch, uh, and he's talking about chastity, uh, that there are some that God has blessed with this gift. That's the second objection. I'm not going to spend uh, going to it in further detail, uh, but the first objection came from the Pharisees. and they, Remember, they're still trying to tear down Jesus. In this case, they're trying to pit Him against Moses, uh, which say they've got scripture there. They're saying, you, know, you are not scriptural. And so if you look at verse 7, they said to him, why then, given what Jesus has just taught on marriage and divorce, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Now again here, they're referring to Deuteronomy 24. And they're saying, well, according to Moses, all that's needed in order to dissolve a marriage is a piece of paper, a certificate of divorce. Now, of course, they're ignoring what Jesus had just said, where uh, he pointed back, Genesis 1 and 2, and back to what marriage really is. They come back to Moses and they say, well, he commanded divorce with just a piece of paper. Why is that? Now, first of all, we can see clearly that there's a lie there. Moses never commanded divorce. He permitted it. But setting that aside, let's think about Moses for a moment. Uh, Many of the Israelites that Moses was over uh, were hard-hearted. Think about the time Moses uh, led the children of Israel to Mount Sinai and then after that 40 years their, their great uh, sin but then 40 years in the, the desert after that and there, there were many who, who married and divorced during that time but many of them were hard-hearted in their, in their marriages they were going to do whatever they wanted. They weren't. They didn't have a heart a love for the Lord. They didn't have a heart to listen and obey Moses. So Moses couldn't just say Don't do it. I denounce it. There was sin that was involved. And because of that, and there were others that were involved in these marriages, and because of that, he had to deal with it in a right way before the Lord and to care for those whom they were married to. And that meant permitting divorce in some circumstances, but not in others. In other words, Regulating divorce. And that's what Jesus tells the disciples here in verse 8. Except that he makes it personal. Listen to how he says it. He said to them, to the Pharisees, and he's answering their question Because of your hardness, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the very beginning, it was not so. Now, Jesus here is is going back. It's almost like He can't help Himself. He's going back uh, and He's affirming God's design for covenant faithfulness that was there in the very beginning. In the beginning, He made us for that, man and woman, one for the other. But, because of the reality in this world, the reality of sin, of hardness of heart, of persistent disobedience, of enmity toward God, there must be divorce. It has to be permitted. And so he puts these specifics, Jesus does, into a very general statement about divorce. Now, you may want to underline this. It's verse 9, but it's packed full all in this one verse. Verse 9, he says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, Commits adultery and first of all just notice how clearly this speaks against that one school that Hillel led that says that uh, divorce can happen for any reason. This speaks directly. Against that, because Jesus' basic premise, as we've already said, is that divorce goes against what God has designed, what He has given from the very beginning. It shouldn't happen. But sexual unfaithfulness is such a break in the covenant, in the marriage covenant, that God permits it in that case only when there's adultery. You can understand why. Because in that case, the other party, the guilty party, has they've left the covenant relationship. They bound themselves to another in a very real sense. But there's also something very important there. That divorce is not necessary in that case. In the case of adultery, it is permitted. But all that's needed to continue in that marriage is what? It's twofold. It's repentance on the part of the one, the guilty, and it's forgiveness on the part of the other. And certainly, that is desirable. If those exist, that is desirable to save the marriage, to remain in that covenant relationship. Now, there's one more uh, situation there in this densely packed verse and it involves remarriage. And this is a challenging topic as we look at it here and in other places in God's Word. But here, Jesus is very specific. He says, if one party divorces the other person and and it's done in an unrighteous way, you can think, uh, they, they use the clause of that one school that says you can divorce a person for any reason. But it's not because of covenant sexual infidelity Uh, but for some other reason they put away the relationship if then he or she remarries they commit adultery why? because they never properly departed from the first relationship the first marriage they took it into their own hands remember what therefore God has joined together let not man separate now there's there's an abundance of questions that come up with this, an abundance of situations. I'm just going to touch on a couple here. And there are many, and and, and I'll just say this is something that needs to be dealt with uh, by pouring over Scripture, by the church coming alongside of. Uh, we have a... Uh, a study that's been written which is wonderful within the PCA uh, over a couple of years that was put together on this that's available uh, online on the PCA website that's wonderfully helpful, not just on this, on everything having to do with marriage and, and divorce. Uh, and so I'd, I'd point you to that. But just a couple of comments here. If the first divorce occurred when the person was an unbeliever in this scenario that's given here, of course that changes everything. Their heart isn't there to know the Lord. Their heart isn't there to obey. And even if this happened while they're a believer, there are things, maybe there was a lack of understanding. The church they were a part of did not do its work to discipline, to call back. Uh, But no matter what, a reminder, this is not the unforgivable sin. And secondly, there is no indication they're ever to break the second marriage, to try to make something right. That's not the solution that makes it right, to go back to the original spouse in that way. None of those are in view here. The point here is not to remarry if this has happened, but even beyond that, to see divorce in the right way as a believer, and therefore to submit yourself. myself, ourselves, to the Lord and to follow His direction. Why? Because of what He has intended for the marriage covenant to be so that we may see it as a holy union. And and really, that's, that's the bottom line, isn't it? That's what all of this is about. We can get so caught up in these things, but what we end up doing is treating divorce separately from everything else. And it's clear here that's wrong. Look at what Jesus does. We get a sense here of God's provision for divorce and through divorce and His regulation of divorce so that we get a sense of what God is really doing. It's as if He takes the crown of His creation, which is man and woman, whom He has designed to come together in marriage. The crown of creation. Those who are designed to be in covenant relationship with Him. And he, He makes them in such a way that their very lives reflect this relationship of Christ and His church. And it's a beautiful picture. And therefore, if we are able to live out our lives in this covenant relationship, man and woman joined together through all the troubles and everything else that we go through, but looking to the Lord, living out of that covenant, and therefore able to see the beautiful picture that comes out of it of who Christ is and what He has done for us and that when we are in relationship with Him, He will never cast us aside. That there is all manner of security in that relationship. That puts all of this in a completely different place, doesn't it? It makes it clear and plain and it brings joy to our hearts. One man, one woman united together yet through all of this we see that god doesn't ignore this reality of sin in the world he doesn't just say obey and then leave us in our place sin that terribly affects our family sin that terribly affects the marriage relationship but what does he do he turns ashes to beauty and He puts into place regulations that will protect and that will provide for this beautiful marital relationship that, that help us even when we're in situations that may involve unbelievers in marriage uh, so that we can continue to see and there are things I haven't covered here from 1 Corinthians 7 that speak about those who are unequally yoked uh, in, in marriage and how to handle that uh, to, to continue in that marriage as long as both are willing to. The unbeliever is willing to continue in the marriage, but if the unbeliever leaves, then the believer is not bound at all. They can continue on. They can remarry. Uh, and, and, and in all of these things, the Lord is providing for us through marriage, and yes, through divorce. Don't forget, divorce is something that God has given, that God has provided Uh, And therefore, we are to see it in the right way. So I just encourage us all not to lose sight over what marriage is and what God has done in His creation of us and in His gift of marriage amongst us so that we can live our lives. Remember what I said out of uh, Philippians chapter 2 so that we can live our lives as children of God even in the midst of of a crooked and twisted generation. This is what we need. God has provided what we need. Please uh, join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the ways that, that you care for us. We thank you that you know us. And Lord, that, that all of this, as we look at marriage, we look at divorce, all of this is oriented toward our relationship with You that we might know You, that we might live with You, that we, we might walk with You. And therefore, Lord, we prevail upon You to help us. Help us to see this in a right manner. Help us to understand it. Help those here who are young at different ages and are growing up and beginning to think about these things and seeing it modeled in different ways by parents and by others. Some ways that are not at all helpful but very real to this world. Other ways that are right before You. We do pray for Your help, Lord. We pray that You will inform their minds and their hearts. That they might see this as You have provided it. That marriage is a gift. And that we've been designed for it. And that even when we are to, and it's clear, are to live as single, uh, that you provided for that as well. And that you care for us. And that we can look to be forever together uh, with the Lord Jesus. We thank you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.